Welcome inside the Locked On Longhorns podcast. I am your host, Patrick Kahn of the Longhorns Wire. My co-host, Cami, will be joining us momentarily. First, I want to remind everyone you can follow us on social media, Locked On Longhorns podcast at LO underscore Longhorns on Twitter. You can find me at at Pat Sports Guy. You can find Cami at at Cami Angie. Also, give us a rating and subscribe. It really helps us and helps other Longhorn fans find our podcast. So let's get everything started. It is Twitter Tuesday. We have a full show. So let me go ahead and welcome in Cami. And Cami, right off the bat, I want to ask you about something I saw on Twitter that made me laugh and was is really ugly. Have you seen the new Rams logo on the hat that was leaked on Reddit? Yes, I did see that on Twitter, I believe, yesterday, actually. And I had to do a double take, and I agree, it was quite hideous. And at first, I thought it looked like it would be a logo for the Chargers or something. And and the I guess to back it up a little bit, I don't know why they're necessarily messing with their logo to begin with, because this one looks way worse. Have you ever seen the movie Son-in-Law? No, I don't think so. Okay, well, there's this movie, uh, Son-in-Law, starring... Polly Shore and it's just it's one scene where he goes I'm gonna take my style and your style and we're just gonna weave them that's what they did it was like we're gonna take the Chargers logo and the LA logo and we're gonna mash them together so it's a mashup is what it feels like I agree and do you think they will actually take this feedback and maybe update the logo or do something a little different maybe they should just um, throw it away yeah, I mean, maybe, but I'm hoping if they get all this negative feedback, they might be able to um, make some changes, hopefully. You know, it's funny. I have a couple thoughts here. The first thought is the city of L.A., after what the Chargers did with taking the L.A. Dodgers logo and just throwing a lightning bolt in it, they should stop. Like, don't make any more logos. My second thought is, did you ever play Madden? No, I haven't. My brothers did, though. Okay, so in Madden, you create your own franchise, right? It almost looks like one of the generic logos that you can use to create your own team in the Madden football game. That's what it looks like to me. Oh, God, that's embarrassing. It, it, well, they, they're ugly. I mean, in, in the game, you can't really, it's not like you can upload your own image and have all this custom stuff. They have like generic ones in there. And it, I don't know if it's changed because I don't play Madden anymore. Yeah, I'm curious but, to see what some of the players think of it. Have any of them tweeted? their thoughts on it at all I, I haven't seen any i just seen basically everyone in the media is making a mockery of it oh well it's deserving of one it, it is deserving of one. now that was something i found on twitter what was something you found on twitter yeah there's a couple of funny videos floating around one in particular that i thought was funny in um, terms of a football sense actually um so what happened in this video is it's unclear in the video of how the, the play actually started, but you see a player running with a football sprinting his tail off down the sidelines. And then all of a sudden he loses his footing and slides and fumbles the football on the way down to the ground. And the way he handled himself immediately after is what caught my attention. He instantly put his hands on his head and crouched down in disappointment rather than going after the ball or tackling the opposing team's player who picked up the ball. He kind of just, uh, sat there on the ground pouting while the guy who actually picked up the fumble literally almost stepped on the guy who fumbled while he was pouting on the ground. That's how close he ran past him uh, when he picked up that fumble. So I definitely agree with the caption of the video that the player who fumbled should be benched for his effort. But this is kind of why I like Twitter. We would have never seen random highlights or captions like that before. It was just an unfortunate and uh, probably embarrassing moment for that player. 
If you want to watch this video, go to the NFL Memes Twitter account. They have that video. And I, it looked like he was showboating before he fell and fumbled the ball. So it was almost a bit of football karma. Yeah, I agree. And I, I'm just like in all of what happened after he fumbled. Like the guy almost stepped on him. All he had to do is pick his head up from crying into his hands or something. And he would have uh, completely made himself, I guess, look a little less embarrassing. Yeah, then going into full fetal position on the field. Uh, that was that was tough to watch, uh, but it was funny and, and disheartening at the same time because, you know, we've all been there where maybe not on the sp- so much on the sports field, but you do something, you think everything's going great, and it just all uh, it just crumbles around you. It unravels, and then you're just like, ah. Oh, that always happens. Like, obviously, I mentioned I was a soccer player, and silly things and it happens to professionals too like sometimes maybe the ball hits a weird bounce or you slip or something you totally swing and miss so it happens to everyone Mm, mm. okay so let's let's do this final one it was something that i found on twitter you know and the kid that he caught the ball over as he's walking away he pulls out a sharpie a la terrell owens and signed the back of the kid's shirt yeah, I don't know how I feel about that. That takes a lot of confidence and bravery and things like that. I don't know if that's necessarily the um, cocky style I would want in a player, but um, obviously he has confidence and it was a great play. So it's it's funny for Twitter purposes. It is funny for Twitter purposes, but it's you know also uh, some of the responses to the video uh, on my Twitter account was somebody was like, he would be missing teeth after, after that. So, I, you know, that's a... Uh, that's a tough deal because, you know, it really could have turned into a fist fight right after the play. Like True. your confidence, but maybe tone it down a notch or 12. Yeah, and I thought it was a fairly decent sportsmanship by obviously the guy who was on the a bad end of that play. But um, you can view it a lot of different ways, but it's definitely not something I would encourage on the football field. It definitely not. All right, so coming up next – we are going to talk a, a little bit about some a spring matchup as uh, one of our Twitter followers has sent us an idea of who do we think is better coming up next. All right. Welcome back inside the Locked On Longhorns podcast. Uh, we're going to go to a question that we got on Twitter from at Fallon Reacts. Wants to know who will start at the slot, Jake or Jordan, which I'm assuming she means Jake Smith or Jordan Whittington. Yeah, I can actually probably talk about this particular question for a while in length, but this is a great question. It's probably one of the best questions we've been asked so far on Twitter. But um, as all of you know, me and Patrick have discussed how Jordan Whittington came in as a receiver but switched to running back as a true freshman due to lack of depth at running back. And he actually quickly absorbed his new role and position and climbed the depth chart to the number two running back shortly before the season began. But unfortunately, with sidelined the majority of his freshman season due to injury. It was announced that he was moving back to receiver, particularly slot receiver this offseason, which is a position that most expected Jake Smith to fill right away when Devin DuVernay went to the NFL. However, both Smith and Whittington are flexible and can be used in unique ways, in my opinion. They were both highly rated prospects coming out of high school the same year, and we got to see a bit of Smith's potential this past season, uh, which was very positive in my opinion. He played in all 12 games as a true freshman and caught 25 passes for 274 yards and six touchdowns. 
And his six receiving touchdowns are also the second most by a freshman in Texas history, uh, trailing only Roy Williams, who had eight in 2000. So he obviously had a successful true freshman season. Uh, Jake Smith did in terms of not even being the starter at the time. He's also a factor in the return game as he was a starting punt returner for most of the season. Both Smith and Whittington, though, just kind of seem like Swiss Army Knife type of players to me. They can do it all if need be. I think they will compete with each other at the highest level and bring the best out of each other. And I think that's a great situation for Texas to be in. But overall, I think regardless of who is announced as a proclaimed starter on the depth chart at slot to open the season, I feel that they'll both get very similar playing time in a variety of roles. I think each of them are too dangerous to not have on the field. So um, this one's a kind of hard question for me, but what do you have? I think you just have to look at uh, some of the things that you've already stated, you know, about how Jake played last season his freshman year. You know, but you got to remember the just think back to what Jordan Whittington did as a senior in high school. Um, talk about the state championship game, six touchdowns, accounted for what was it, 337 yards? Yeah, I agree. So it, it broke a record at the time. I'm unsure if it's still the state championship record, but he had a monster state championship game. You know, and it wasn't just that, it was the six touchdowns. How about the touchdown they got overturned? They said that he bobbled it. What they do? They go right back to him the next play. What's he do? Score a touchdown. I mean, he just just the things that he can do on the field, I just don't think you can discount that. I've kind of leaned Jake just because I think that his experience will will benefit him greatly uh, this this upcoming season and in the spring. But, you know, it's hard to keep a player like that off the field. But the thing that I like most about Jordan is the position flexibility, whereas he can play slot or, you know, they can kind of use him, uh, line him up in the backfield as an H back or line him up at running back and have him run routes out of there so that he's getting a clean break. You know, he doesn't have to deal with defenders disrupting him, knocking him off his route. You know, there's a variety of ways that they can use him. So I really think, like you said, both are really going to get their time on the field. I don't doubt that one bit. Just looking at it right now, I'm I'm probably still going to lean Jake just because of the experience, and you just hope that Jordan can stay healthy this season because if he can, he's got big play potential written all over him. I agree, and I would love to see Whittington out of the backfield quite a bit this season, even though uh, we have players like Rashawn Johnson and B. John Robinson and uh, Ingram back there, but um, he needs to be used in some way, and I would lean towards Jake Smith, like you said, because of experience and he's comfortable in that role already. But um, we don't even know if Whittington's going to remain healthy this season, like you mentioned. Is that going to kind of plague him throughout his collegiate career or not? So I think there's a lot of questions surrounding Whittington right now, but there's no doubt that the hype is surrounding him, that um, he's going to be an important player for the Longhorns in the future. So um, hopefully he can remain healthy and uh, be a weapon for us. Absolutely. And and like you said, there's a lot of hype surrounding him. I mean, ESPN even came out and, you know, named him the breakout player for the Texas Longhorns uh, this season, this upcoming season, as they named, I believe they did a breakout player for each of the top 25 teams or projected top 25. Yeah, and that's interesting you brought that up. And yeah, they did one for each of the top 25 teams. And now that I think about that, they came out with Jordan Whitt- and said Jordan Whittington on that when he was technically still listed as a running back. 
So I'd have to double check on that to see if um, they were considering him a breakout player at that position or if they maybe had some inside info that they knew he was going to go back to slot receiver or how that's working out. But that's interesting now to think about. Yeah, I think that news or that story when we posted it on the site at Longhorns Wire, I believe he was still listed at running back at that time. And then shortly thereafter, we got the news from Tom Herman um, that he would be making the change to wide receiver, even though we kind of were clued into it uh, by him changing all of his Twitter information, you know, prior to that. But still, the fact is that he's a big time player. And, you know, he, like you said, we can, he can make moves all over the field. I honestly want to get both of them on the field at the same time and see what they can do. Cause I think that would be a lot of fun. Mike Yersich is going to have a lot of weapons once they figure out what they're doing at wide receiver. Who's going to be the X? Who's going to be, you know, the Z? Are they going to go with Washington? Is it going to be somebody else? So, you know, there's a lot of moving parts, but we'll get really into that in the coming weeks. The first practice on March 25th for spring ball, and I'm really excited about that. And we'll actually be live there at the at the practice. So it's going to be interesting to see if maybe we can get some, you know, tips and, and maybe we can get some info for y'all and we can share it right here on the show. Uh, But now I want to go into something that we talked about on yesterday's episode. Cammie, you asked me about the baseball team being ranked. Yes, and I'm so glad the rankings came out today or technically yesterday. So um, USA Today Sports Baseball's coaches poll ranked Texas at number 22 this week, shortly after the series sweep of Cal State Fullerton. And I asked you on the last um, episode whether you thought they deserve to be ranked yet because technically they've only played two ranked teams in Arkansas and LSU. But um, I know they've, I guess, had an impressive home series this past weekend. So I think if they can stay consistent um, and keep their bats alive, they should have no problem remaining on this poll. I think a couple of big 12 teams are ranked ahead of Texas on this particular poll with Texas Tech at number three and Oklahoma at number 13. And actually TCU dropped out of this poll. But I think them receiving a ranking this early on the season is a sign of what type of potential is there and expected for the rest of the season for the Longhorns. So I'm happy they're ranked right now, but obviously it's still very early and there's quite a bit of games still left to be played. Right. And they have, they're going to open big 12 play against Oklahoma who is ranked 13th. Not only that, but on March 31st, Texas will travel to college station to play the number 23 ranked Aggies in a uh, in just a one game series so they're only going to play them once before playing Oklahoma State that next weekend that they'll play at the dish so they're going to have some opportunities to show what they have against the two more top 25 teams this season just in the early part of the season you know towards the end of March yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And even though they only typically get to play the Aggies uh, for one game, like you mentioned, it's still very, it's in a very electric atmosphere. All the players are super into it. It kind of brings back that old rivalry feeling. So I'm looking forward to seeing how they fare against them. All right. So I got a question for you. Hit me. Why is it that they can play the Aggies in basketball and baseball, but we can't play them in football? <laughs> Too much politics and drama and things like that, but that had the potential and hopefully one day we'll have the potential to be um, a very highly rated rivalry. I mean, 
the hatred between the two teams is still obviously apparent and we don't even play each other in football. So um, I'm not sure. I wish I knew. And I hope we get to play them in football sometime soon. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, coming up next, we got some more Longhorns athletic talk coming right after this. All right, Cammy. So in our last segment, we talked about rivalries. So let's talk about this. We did a roundtable on Longhorns Wire about the best rivalry in college football. And who is your pick for the best rivalry? Yeah, this is a fun roundtable article. I know we each had different differing opinions, but um, like we actually just talked about, I really wish I could have said Texas and Texas A&M here because that had the potential to become one of the best rivalries. But obviously, that's a story for another day. But I had a fairly easy decision on my end uh, with the Red River Red River rivalry. Oh, that's hard to say 10 times fast. It's more than just an in-state rivalry to me. It's played on a neutral field. Um at the Cotton Bowl Stadium each year in October during the State Fair of Texas. The Golden Hat is obviously very important to both teams. We've seen Baker Mayfield, Colt McCoy, Sam Ellinger, and many others wear and pose with that particular trophy shortly after um, the game. But I've witnessed the passion and hatred between the two teams. I mean, no matter which sporting event you are at in Austin, every single chance somehow ends with OU sucks. Obviously, the Sooners love to throw the horns down symbol too, so I think it's just a rivalry that has a storied history and tradition. That is only increasing um, as it continues, in my opinion. The players, coaches, and fans have an intense hatred towards the opposing team every single day of the week, not just when they play each other. I think this is one of the most anticipated meetings in college football each season. And my personal favorite memory probably is from 2008 when uh, Texas was ranked number five at the time and they were facing the number one ranked Sooners and Jordan Shipley actually returned a kickoff for 98 yards and the Longhorns won that meeting 45 to 35. So I know a lot of people like to select in-state rivalries and things like that, but I really think uh, the Red River shootout, like we mentioned, is a hard one for me to beat. Yeah, when I, I mean, I know there's the Iron Bowl, which uh, one of the writers at Longhorns Wire, Griffin, uh, he, he came out and said the Iron Bowl, which I get, in-state rivalry, no pro teams there. That's kind of all they have, right? Yeah, pretty much, and he pretty much said that. He was like, you're either a football fan or I don't know what you're doing. Yeah, so my whole deal was I went with Michigan-Ohio State. I mean, and and you talk about a rivalry that goes back to 1897, and there's a genuine – I mean, it's much like Texas OU. There's a genuine hatred. The two campuses are only separated by 200 miles, and it's so bad, like – you know, like with Texas and OU, they'll still mention their names, you know, but there's like they'll be chanting Texas sucks. They're chanting Oklahoma sucks. The thing about Ohio State is they won't even call Michigan Michigan. It's that team up north. Yeah, I you actually know? laughed when I read that part of yours. And and that's true. And obviously the hatred is that bad that they don't even want to speak or hear about the opposing team. So uh, it's kind of different in the, I guess, down here in the Southern parts. So we actually are a little more vulgar and things like that, but um, I agree with your pick as well. Yeah. And so there's, there's that. I, I just found it, you know, as I was doing research on it and, you know, I talked to Ohio state fans and I talked to, you know, Michigan fans and I mean, they both told me the same thing essentially they can't stand the other 
And so it's like that's that's the basis for a good rivalry. But I love the fact that these rivalries that we talk so much about college football being the rivalry, but these rivalries go beyond that. I mean, it's baseball, it's basketball, any sporting event where these two teams are playing each other, that hatred continues. You know, maybe more so on the football field because it's more of a physical sport, but I, I don't think it's any less so as far as how they feel about each other. Uh, but I will say about the Michigan and Ohio State rivalry, part of the reason why I chose them is in 2006, they had the game that was ESPN called the game of the century. It featured number one and versus number two. Winner was going to go to the BCS National Championship game. It ended in a 42-39 to 39 score. I mean, you couldn't get any closer of a matchup. And, you know, they called it the game of the century. So that's why I went with them. But honestly, being that I cover Texas athletics, I see the Texas and OU. And honestly, I love it. I love that rivalry between the two schools. So, uh, you know, it's always a great time. Texas Fairgrounds, you know, during the State Fair, Cotton Bowl, there's not a better place to be on a Saturday than at that football game. I agree. And I know it's maybe a tradition thing. I just wish they would make it not an 11 a.m. game each October. But um, obviously people still show up. It's very hard to get tickets to that game. People travel for it. They come in for it. It's always a blast. And in recent years, honestly, it's kind of been the deciding factor of the Big 12 because both uh, teams have a lot of hype surrounding them. Obviously, Lincoln Riley over there in Oklahoma and Tom Herman over here. But um, hopefully Texas will come out on the winning end of it this time. Yeah, that's the hope. Hope they can get back on the winning side. And, you know, like you said, this could be the game that decides who is going to be in that Big 12 championship or it could be like 2018 and they're playing each other once again in the big 12 championship. Uh, right. That's still hard for me to stomach, by the way. Uh, it, yes, it is hard to stomach. I, it eats me alive. Okay. So I know we were talking about the rivalries, but we're going to get over to a little bit of basketball talk. Now we will have Ari Temkin from the big 12 show on Sirius XM radio joining us on Wednesday, but real quick, you had an update on the bracketology as far as can Texas get into the tournament? Yes. And it's like we're predicting the future somehow because the previous episode we discussed whether baseball would be ranked. And I asked you as well uh, shortly after that whether um, or basically whether you thought um, Texas deserved to go to the uh, NCAA tournament after the Oklahoma State loss. And I know we talked about the impact of that loss in terms of yesterday's segment and whether they'd make the NCAA tournament. But I actually believed that they just needed to win one out of the last two games of their regular season. And Texas actually did that. I mean, obviously a win against Oklahoma State would have improved their chances of getting in. But I do think as long as they went 500 in Big 12 play, which they did at 9-9, nine and nine, that they'd have a realistic chance to creep in as an at-large bid. Regardless of how they fare in the Big 12 tournament, it will obviously be a steep hill for them to climb in terms of winning the Big 12 tournament and getting an automatic bid because Kansas and Baylor are just much better teams than the rest of the Big 12 right now. Like we mentioned, they're kind of on their own tier. Uh, but not only that, they have to face a tough Texas Tech team in the first round. Uh, that's going to be hard enough for them to get through. But I do believe with what 
Kansas coach Bill Self actually said yesterday, it was reported on Twitter by Dallas Morning News, he actually predicted that six teams from the Big 12 would make the tournament, and he included those six teams uh, like Kansas, Baylor, Oklahoma, West Virginia, Texas, and Texas Tech. So I actually agree with him here. What about you? I don't agree with him at all, actually. I think that that loss to Oklahoma State was devastating. And it's not that if they would have played well and lost by two points, four points, five points, I could see it. But the fact that you lost by as many points as you did and you looked as flat as you did, because those NET rankings, the net rankings are so important to the selection committee. They base it on how you lose, not just that you won and lost, but it takes into effect the or it takes in um, where it's played the conditions of the game and how it ends. So losing by 20 plus points is not, is not helping them. And that's why they dropped 11 spots in the ranking. So I think that the game against Texas tech is a must win. And we'll get more into that coming up on Wednesday and Thursday. As we preview the game, we get closer to that. All right, Cammy. here's our last question on Twitter Tuesday. Besides Caden Stearns and Joseph Asai, who are a couple guys on defense who can be X factors? Yeah, that's a great question. I know we talked in length regarding Caden Stearns and Osai and uh, actually a couple of episodes ago, but um, obviously they're both expected to have huge years as long as Stearns can stay healthy. I think he could probably uh, be one of the top defensive backs in the nation, not just on the roster, but I'm going to actually uh, go on a limb and say two other defensive backs here as well. Deshaun Jamison. Um, I know he's, uh, factor in the return game and also BJ Foster's who I'm going to pick here. But what about you? I know you've been kind of watching the linebacker group closely. Yeah, I'm looking at Juwan Mitchell, the guy who was slated to go into the transfer portal and decided to stick around. And then I'm going to take the former defensive back now linebacker and DeMarvian Overshone. I think, you know, if they move him around, you know, play him as a off-the-ball linebacker and then also move him around as an, maybe a nickel corner on, you know, in sub-packages where they're using him to cover the third wide receiver, fourth wide receiver, or even the uh, the tight end. You know, he's got size, so you really look at him and go, I th- you know, I think he can do some things. Um, you know, there, there's, a, there's a young guy that I'm really excited to watch this fall, and, and that's Prince Dorba out of Highland Park. You know, he's listed as an outside linebacker, but I think they're obviously going to try and move him up to be kind of that speed guy off the edge, you know, kind of rotate with Joseph Asai because I think he's really going to be that guy off that right side. Yeah, and actually, since he's speaking about next season, I know we're obviously focused on spring ball here, but um, I think five-star incoming lineman Alfred Collins could get some playing time fairly early on. So I'm curious to see how he does. Obviously he won't be here uh, throughout the spring, but he's definitely one to keep an eye on as well. Yeah. You talk about a guy who I think last I checked, he was listed at six, five and 284 pounds. So, you know, he's got the body to take on the big boys on the right side on that strong side and on the left. So, you know, if we can get him and, and Osai and Dorba all going, I think, you know, Texas has a chance to have a really good pass rush this season, and then you factor in the improved linebackers, and then hopefully the secondary can catch up to speed, create some turnovers, give Sam Ellinger a short field, and allow the, this offense to really get rolling. It's going to be a lot of fun. That's going to wrap it up for this edition of the Locked On Longhorns podcast. Now tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of the Draft Dudes. Have a great day, and we'll see you tomorrow.
Hook 'em. Your Locked On Longhorns, your daily podcast on the Texas Longhorns.